0: Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugar cane, Three Roll is cane to glass.
1: From NOLA Pizza in the NOLA Brewing Tap Room on Chapitula Street in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode
2: Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. welcome to Out to Lunch. There's a good chance you haven't won the lottery. You can probably imagine what you'd feel like if you did because you've experienced a version of that uh, financial good news at some point. Uh, Maybe you've gotten a bonus at work or the IRS said you've overpaid your taxes and you're going to send you a refund. Everybody likes to have more money. For the most part, that's why we invest in the stock market. However, the act of investing in the market and making money is the same act of investing in the stock market and losing money. The trick is to know which stocks to buy and when to buy them. Like gamblers at a horse track, investors have all kinds of foolproof strategies. There are claims that if you write a list of company names on a hen house floor and invest in which names a chicken poops on, you'll come out ahead of most of these strategies. The generally accepted uh, best investment strategy of all is to hire a seasoned, smart, Wall Street expert with a proven track record, but most of us can't afford that, and that's why there is The Motley Fool. The Motley Fool is a financial and investment advice company that democratizes investing in the stock market by making insightful, dependable advice readily available to almost everyone. They have a website, produce podcasts, publish books, and newspaper columns, and they have a radio show. New Orleanian John Ratani is the senior analyst, and he's also head of investor training and development at The Motley Fool. John, welcome down to lunch. Thanks for having me on the show, Professor. <laughs> Thrilled to be here. Even the greatest investors go through tough times. On the days you look at your portfolio and it's not doing as well as you like, you can still capture that dopamine, high feeling you get on a good day by stepping through the door of a business in the Lower Garden District on Magazine Street. The business is Piety and Desire Chocolate, And the aroma alone in this place will transport you to a place many miles away from financial stress. Piety and Desire is a New Orleans bean-to-bar chocolate maker, which means they make their own chocolate from scratch using cocoa beans that they get directly from growers, mostly in South and Central America. The founder and chocolatier of Piety and Desire Chocolate is Christopher Nobles. Christopher started the company in 2016. Today, he and a small team turn out around 2,000 handmade chocolate bonbons a week. Christopher, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me, Peter. John, The Motley Fool has a long and impressive track record of picking successful stocks and putting together portfolios of stocks that make money for investors. An investor doesn't have to be wealthy and connected to take advantage of your investment advice. Almost anybody who wants to put money in the market can get access to your stock selection. Your readers and followers are not necessarily clients in the strict sense, but given the nationwide and international distribution of Motley Fool's information, I think it would be safe to say that the company has a bigger user base than any investment firm in the U.S. Motley Fool has been pumping out great investment information since 1993, and back then it must have been a paper newsletter that was mailed out to you and such. Now everything's changed. What delivery vehicles are you using now, And which ones are you thinking about using?
1: When I, when, before I joined The Motley Fool, I've been at The Motley Fool for over eight years. I was a subscriber to five of the newsletters, and they did come in a, in a paper form in the mail. But now all of our newsletters are delivered digitally, um, through email or um, through a login onto our site. As far as future vehicles, we currently have um, a, a streaming experience um, called Motley Fool Live that is five days a week. I'm the co-host of The Morning Show, three of those days a week. Um, so we do have a, um, a video experience. We have a podcast, audio-only experience. We throw conferences where our um, members can come join us in person and learn about our investing advice and guidance. So it's a combination of in-person, digital, video, audio, and I don't, I don't know what our, our managers is going to think of next. <laughs>
2: I have a feeling someone is thinking about it. Oh, definitely.
1: (laughs) Christopher, we live in a country
2: of around 300 million people. For most consumer-based manufacturing companies, the goal is to sell a product to as many of these 300 million folks as possible. This means convincing most Americans that they need your product and selling it at a price that is low as you can get it. These principles can result in a kind of race to mediocrity. That country's most popular products are not always of the highest quality. For example, most of us grew up believing that Hershey's and chocolate are synonymous. If at some point we were to taste Swiss or artisanal chocolate, it gets to be a pretty eye-opening experience. But For a lot of people, that loss of innocence never happens. You're making high quality chocolate in a city not known for a large number of luxury consumers. New Orleans is not San Francisco or Miami, but you've been successful here since 2016 and your business is still growing. How do you reach and convert New Orleanians who have grown up on Hershey's? What's the sales pitch to them?
3: Hmm. No sales pitch necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Chocolate sells itself for sure. There's definitely an aesthetic component to that. So uh, for a lot of folks, that's something they've never seen before. Um, But it's interesting that you do bring up uh, the way that most chocolate people make money. And even in the newer craft chocolate movement, uh, it's definitely more focused on what I would call like vertical growth, uh, trying to wholesale as much stuff as possible, get your bars, you know, across the country. Uh, Whereas my approach has always been what I'd call more horizontal uh, in orientation uh, in that I want to bring on more experiences, uh, make things that people can't get anywhere else, uh, and again, focus on quality, not quantity, Um, and to me, I feel like that's something that set us apart. Uh, As far as your question about New Orleans and its population and uh, its discretionary income, I would argue that New Orleans is actually a global city, uh, given that we're such a uh, tourist-based economy, so we're not just selling to native New Orleanians uh, like myself, but we're also selling to people from all corners of the earth that make their way down to our new little cafe on Magazine Street. So,
2: And John, I know exactly what everybody's thinking right now is The Motley Fool. What on earth kind of name is that? I, um, is it, but I did read something. It's something tied to
1: Shakespeare? It's tied to a Shakespeare play um, 16 That was written in 1623 Um, and yeah, one of the characters was Motley and he was diversified in his thinking and and stuff like that. And so we try to um, be a diversified group of thinkers and we're all different and unique. And so we're a Motley crew in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I'll just say, these are the most aesthetically pleasing chocolates I have ever seen in my life. I'm looking at a sample right now, reds, pinks, greens, blues, oranges. And the biggest dragon egg chocolate (laughs) ball I've ever seen in my life. That is something to see. uh, That's incredible. And what I'm
2: going to do is I'm going to distract Christopher so you can get some of those chocolates. This is all (laughs) going to work out. uh, Chris, we started as a wholesaler, but now Mm -hmm. you're like Mm -hmm. 50-50 retail wholesale. What's the... um, where are the retail outlets or how did you get that going? That's a mm-hmm. big decision.
3: Yeah, and indeed, uh, we really kind of started wholesale and retail at the same time. Uh, my original vision for the company was to uh, was to do that. It was to start wholesale first, uh, do that for a couple of years, and then start doing more uh, chocolatiering and uh, confection-based stuff, retail, et cetera. Um, and just by chance, uh, with our packaging being delayed uh, quite a bit uh, when we first established ourselves, uh, and Blue Frog uh, chocolates oh yeah, uh, going out of business uh, at the same time. Um, I went over there just to get some small wares and stuff when they were closing, and they were very kind and basically forced me to take their uh, chocolate confection case, um, which would have been unnecessary for the wholesale aspect, right? Uh, but I said, well, if I'm gonna, you know, be storing this refrigerated chocolate case, I might as well use it and you know carve out a little little frontage in front of the factory uh, and let people come in and buy stuff. And so it just kind of happened right about the same time. Uh, and was, there's was also a synergy with surrounding businesses uh, such as Roulay-Zon, uh which is actually in the same address as us, uh, oh. or at least in our manufacturing now. Um, that's the rum company. Yes, yeah. Relaison rum, and uh, oh, a, a guest. On, yes, that's you know, the launch not long stuff, ago. Really. Uh, and also Broad Street Cider next to us, and at the time Wayward Owl, which is now Zoney Mash Brewery right up the street. Uh, So it all just kind of came together at the right time for us to where we just opened up our doors to retail uh, at the same time. And, um, yeah, we've been blessed to uh, have that access since then. Yeah. there's.
1: I I will say so many successful investments have this sort of serendipitous timing and luck Mm -hmm. factor involved. And so that sounds like a... Yeah. It sounds like a great investment. Yeah. I will
3: say I'm also a skilled chocolatier. Of course, <laughs> yes. It's not of all. Luck. Oh, oh <laughs> not, not all. Luck
1: at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: I couldn't do it, for instance. Yeah.
2: Um, John, you do something that I think has got to be oh, one of the coolest things in, in the country. If you if you do things like you and I, is you interview famous and not so famous money managers, the greatest in the world. What do you get out of it? Is there are there t- a couple of themes that just seem to be common?
1: I think so, Professor. So um, I think some common themes are the focus on investing in the highest quality growing businesses in the world. Um, So not just high revenue growth, but profitable revenue growth.
2: So when you say, for instance, these big high tech companies, the stock sells for enormous prices, but they don't make any money yet. That's not what you're interested
1: in. I, I, th- I think for the most part that's fair and 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 the people that I'm interviewing take that approach as well they want to focus on companies that have strong balance sheets which is the foundation of a business I don't think you can, I don't think you can build a, a successful long-term business on a weak foundation and then companies that are growing but growing profitably generating high returns on invested capital and a growing stream of free cash flow I think that's one common theme is they do focus on the on the quality aspects of the business. Another common theme is the idea that um, stocks follow earnings over time. You know, when you buy a stock, what you're actually buying is a claim on the company's future earnings. You're buying a percentage of the company's future earnings generating power. And so for that, that's what you're legally entitled to. And so for that reason, over long periods of time, stocks follow earnings and then free cash flow, which is really a cleaner, um, better measure of earnings.
2: It's funny you mentioned you own a portion of the company. A lot of people think that, you know, like you own a desk or a parking space. You really own a portion of those profits. For
1: sure. I mean, if you own a share of Amazon, you can call yourself an owner of Amazon. If you lend mo- if you own an Amazon bond, it means you have actually lent money to Amazon. It's kind of weird to think about that I you're going to loan money to Amazon or loan money to the U.S. government, but that's what's happening when you buy a bond. I love to say that at parties. Yeah. So uh, something. What do you do? I, I lend money to the US government.
2: <laughs> right. Um, Christopher, what about everybody's facing all these inflationary prices? And I can imagine, you know, you have it in a couple of different ends. Can you pass it on to consumers? Is it flexible enough?
3: Yes, I'm sure. Uh, short answer. Yeah. Uh, the the difficult part is staying ahead of it. You know, uh, I feel like I've, I've lucked out in that sense. I've kind of I kind of see it coming a little bit ahead of time. Uh, One big reason is like a lot of our packaging uh, which is kind of like our biggest cost uh, as is the case with most confectionery uh, comes from the West Coast and they tend to see those price increases earlier and with so much of it being so much of it being tied to shipping I see that right away Uh, so in that sense I've kind of had one step ahead but not much and fortunately you know for us, uh, eight to nine percent price increase isn't really even noticed. Um, I feel like given that we're in the New Orleans market, we're actually uh, undervaluing our product. Uh, it would be worth double if we were in New York or San Francisco and people would buy it. Uh, whereas here, you know, we do have to meet people where they're at. Uh, so we are kind of a bargain in that sense already.
2: You're listening, Doubt to, to Lunch. I'm Peter Rashuti. I'm talking with chocolatier Christopher Nobles from Piety and Desire Chocolate and John Rotani. He's the senior analyst and head of investor training and development at The Motley Fool. I want to do something we've never done on the show because we never had the opportunity. Is uh, John, if you were thinking... Now, I know Christopher's company is a private company and he owns it all, but if we're a public company... What would you be
1: looking for if you were going to invest in it, and what
2: questions would you ask Christopher?
1: I'll tell you one thing, it's pricing power, and he just talked about the ability to increase price enough to offset the input cost of inflation, um, while also meeting his customers where they're at. He's not going to double the price like he could on the West Coast, mm-hmm. he's pricing it for the local market. Um, so I would look at his gross margins, um, making sure they're stable or increasing, and that's a, it's one sign of pricing power. And then his return on invested capital is another sign of pricing power. But just also, um, you know, the, the top line revenue growth of the business, the sales growth of the business, because that's a sign that the product is relevant and in demand. And it, I mean, these are so beautiful, I can tell he's got a lot of brand equity, a lot of brand loyalty. Um, there's like a story behind this chocolate. And so all of those things would make me very interested in investing in a company like this. Well, that that yeah. is great. And-
2: Krista, I left you hanging on the retail side. Hmm. Um, you, you had the the place where, I guess, the same facility where you were creating, right. but now you've branched out, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. The our original location uh, was never meant to be retail. Uh, you just got the, the cases. Right. right. And stuff. yeah, it just worked, and it was fine. And then we hit the pandemic, obviously, um, and so we shut down. Uh, retail operations there and moved to curbside pickup. Um, and it was tough, but we managed to prove that chocolate's not just recession proof, but also pandemic proof as we uh, we did. Uh... What a great experiment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> had a lot of fun doing that. But uh, yeah, we did manage to continue growing our sales by 40%, uh, which is great. Um, although it's, you know, in hindsight, it's really funny because Yeah, sales grew, but the company itself uh, wasn't really able to expand because again, we're in that new reality of the pandemic and what it means, you know, and all of a sudden it's like just me for quite a while uh, in the earliest parts. but, yeah, we survived and thrived and have now expanded, um, as was the original vision, to a separate retail location uh, on Magazine Street. Not quite full service, but uh, definitely a cafe with coffee service, ice cream, et cetera. So.
2: And to be clear, John, you, um, you can get some Motley Fool things free, but if you want to get like, your information, all that, there's a paywall, right? There's.
1: Well, there's, there's, we have several newsletters or services that are behind a, pay, a paywall. Um, I do occasionally get to publish on our free website, fool.com, and so I've published over the years um, you know, dozens of articles, and I'm still doing that to this day. I think I published one two weeks ago on um, dividend growth investing, and then a month before that, I published one on um, how companies with high returns on invested capital beat the market. A month before that how companies with high free cash flow margins and high free cash flow yields beat the market. Different topics. Different you, uh, topics. Every couple of months, I'm able to pu- publish on the free site. And then, um, you know, when I asked you originally about uh, different ways
2: to push uh, push your ideas out, you're doing something that I think is incredibly
1: cool. You'll have to explain it best, but
2: you walk around and do a,
1: mm. a podcast. Is that what it is? So that's um, not related to The Motley Fool, but okay. I, I started... Uh, so I have some social media followers on Twitter, and um, I, have a, I have a decent amount—sixty-five hundred followers on Twitter—and and a lot of people encourage me to try to get on Instagram. And so I, I started these walk and talks, where I just walk around Audubon Park and talk for about a minute on different investing topics. I think I've done about thirteen of them now. It's been a while. I need to get back into it, but um, it's a it's a great way to share a, important topic in a brief amount of time it was 60 seconds because instagram uh, the videos i don't even know what they're called limited me to 60 seconds i think now they allow me 90 seconds so maybe i'll i'll move up to a minute and a half but it's a fun way to share an important topic with people <laughs> because people are running by you that have any idea what what you're doing i get some weird looks <laughs> i get some weir- i think people think that i'm filming them and doing all other kind of stuff <laughs> i just try to ignore it keep going <laughs> Well, I know to do that um,
2: radio piece you do, you have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. You don't, do, you, do you do this at 3.30 in the morning?
1: No, not that at 3.30 okay, in the morning. So my morning show starts at uh, 8 a.m. I try to get four hours of reading in before the show, so I do get up early. <laughs> do not call on me to um, I won't. replace yeah. you. That
2: is really, a, that is brilliant.
1: Now, Christopher, you, you talked
2: about expanding the retail, but, but you also have wholesale. And what does wholesale look mm-hmm. like in chocolate?
3: Well, there's a lot of opportunity here, uh, especially being in New Orleans. Again, being that tourist-driven economy, uh, as there's uh, hotel business. Um. So, tell me about a hotel, for example. Mm-hmm.
2: What What are they looking for? Like the st- oh,
3: amenities, and, mostly, but also the thing on the pillow yeah uh, oh, typically man, so cool. well typically given our price point and our uh, exquisite value uh, <laughs> it's typically more for the VIP customers uh, kind of depending on which hotel so for instance uh, the Chloe uh, mm-hmm. all their all their guests are VIPs so they get you know they get it uh, regardless of their room um, whereas uh, some of the larger hotels downtown will give them to um, yeah, the higher end guests, or those renting out like a whole floor or something like that. In fact, uh, the JW Marriott uh, has actually extended an invitation to us to basically have a satellite location there uh, during the holidays this year. Uh, they're going to be having this really cool Christmas themed bar, uh, similar to experiences you can get downtown at like the Roosevelt or even like Barrel Proof, uh, and you know they wanted something to kind of jazz it up besides just being a boozy, another boozy spot. Uh, so they've invited us to basically retail on location, uh, doing drinking That's chocolates great. as well as our uh, bonbons. They're going to be mm-hmm. seasonal chocolates. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. We uh, we always rotate things seasonally. Um, we have like seven different seasons that we do of bonbons. Now, there's so. a great example. Mm-hmm. that I wanted
2: to ask Christopher. Mm-hmm. Did you initiate that the hotel? I mean, are you constantly thinking of places these?
3: one could go? Uh, you know, I have like uh, a million ideas I haven't enacted yet because, uh, you know, we just have people coming to us all the time and that's kind of been the driver of our business thus far. Um, I, I hate to use the buzzword of organic, but I feel like, you know, I've gone for an organic uh, growth of just focusing on the quality and growing slowly rather than um, taking on too much at once and trying to do everything at once. Um, So opportunities like this just come to us uh, over time, uh, one after the other, um, slowly but surely. And in that way, we're able to kind of better manage them.
1: Um, I wish you could coach CEOs of publicly traded companies (laughs) because there's there's an epidemic of trying to grow too fast, um, investing at the wrong point in a cycle, and it ends up you're just lighting money on fire. It's growth at any cost versus profitable growth. So I really wish you could coach some super well-paid CEOs on <laughs> on how there's a time to push the growth pedal to the floor, but there's also a time to throttle back and focus more on profitability and free cash flow generation. It's uh, it's really it's really it's really gotten to be a concern with some companies. And it, but frankly, it's it's kind of Wall Street that's pushing that.
2: Right. It and is. It is. They're, they want more growth. And more
1: growth. 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 It's. There's not a lot of discipline right now that I'm seeing out there in the market. John, your approach, the whole Motley
2: Fool approach, is very, very different from people who are speculators. I mean, this is a whole different game. Um, You're recommending, or you you believe, 25 companies or more in a portfolio. You hold stocks for five-plus years. You like to add to it regularly in terms of savings. Hold on through market volatility let the winners run, which, you know, if you've got something, let it, let's it. let see how far it could go, and
1: target long-term returns. That's the opposite of what today's investors are interested in. I think so. I think, I think one of the ingredients of our secret sauce of The Motley Fool is a really long-term, business-minded approach to investing. So we buy stock as if we were owning the whole business. If I owned a chocolate business, I wouldn't buy it one day, sell it the next, and try to buy it back the next. So we think of stocks in the same way. We want to own them for as long as they remain great businesses, for as long as the story remains intact. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's enough just to own 25 stocks, because if you if you own 25 stocks in one industry, then That's you're not right. adequately diversified.
2: Christopher, uh, I saw you, your background is, is is fascinating, and you know at one point you were a child therapist for children with autism, and so, which is amazing. But you made the leap to making chocolates. How did did um, like Willy Wonka come up into your store? How did that? How did that work? How did you learn?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, misconception. I'm not the Willy Wonka of New Orleans. I'm uh, more the Gene Wilder of New Orleans. Okay. I just <laughs> I happen to be. In, I just happen to be in this role right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just a natural fit, actually. Um, you know, first having grown up here, I've always had uh, cooking jobs throughout high school and college, Uh, and I love cooking, but don't like cooking in restaurants. Uh, However, I've always loved things at the intersection of art and science, Uh, hence my studies in psychology and also music, Um, and chocolate is a science and art discipline, Um, so it's kind of just a natural fit in that regard, I suppose.
1: Chris, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? Hmm,
3: good question. I would say just... Do what feels right. Um, take a water-based approach uh, to all things. Uh, be loose. What does that mean? it means you know, be loose. Um, don't try to force anything. Um, listen to what consumers want. Uh, let them drive your company more than you do, and you'll you'll figure it out from there. <laughs> I love uh, that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And my question to you, being uh, I know you're. Dealing more with the nuts and bolts of real world stock market, uh, but when I think about stocks and bonds these days, all I could think about is crypto, 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 because that's what everybody talks about now. Uh, so my question to you is: Should I turn my chocolate into an NFT? <laughs> if so, how how does one do that? Because I still don't quite understand what that is. Or,
1: or... Uh, that's over my head. I would, I would, I would stick with the chocolates. You know, chocolates are a are a daily pleasure. They're a daily delight, and it's. And one of those, like, intimate things, because we're putting it in our mouth, right? And so we want to make sure that it's it's lovely and it tastes great and it's, it's safe and all those things. And so um, I was sick with chocolates. You know, when I think of crypto, crypto doesn't have the potential to generate any cash flow in the future. Mm. Doesn't It will never throw off a stream of cash flows like a business would, mm. like a bond would, like an apartment building would, like a... Uh, A field, field of crops yeah. would. Right, yeah. Mm. You know, you harvest the crops, sell them at market. Um, so, those financial assets that I just described that have the potential at least to generate cash flow, that means that we can try to estimate how much cash flows will be generated from now until the end of the life of that asset and come up with some estimate of intrinsic value, of fair value or fundamental value. That's impossible to do with crypto because they don't generate any cash flows or don't have the potential to, we can't estimate right. their fair value or their intrinsic value. So for me, that's more speculation, more gambling, whereas businesses, bonds, agriculture, real estate, that's more investing. Hmm. And uh, Christopher, I meant to ask you this early, but the name of the company Piety and
2: Desire, hmm. we were you originally on those streets? How did that
3: come about? Hmm. Uh, I, do knew, I do live near there, although uh, actually one uh, name I was, uh, very beholden to for a while was where we are now on Chapatulus. Chapatoulas uh, chocolates was one I was thinking of going with for a while, uh, but then again, knowing that I'd have to, you know, Spell be reaching people that aren't <laughs> from here uh, as part of my market base, I was like, well, we don't we don't need that confusion. Uh, so yeah, but even just looking at street names and stuff, it was just looking for um, me trying to find some sort of way to make it a New Orleans. Proud uh, title, but without having to do with Florida Lees and whatnot, as it, I feel like that was kind of overdone at the time. And you know, given that we have a lot of unique street names, that's kind of where my mind went. And Piety and Desire to me uh, was just perfect. Uh, a, there's a, a history with it there of you know streetcar named Desire, uh, so it's already a famous street somewhat, even if people don't know. Um, Also, I just felt that it was a perfect uh, reflection of the history of cacao itself, as going back thousands of years, uh, even uh, with the Aztecs, it was uh, something that was held in very high regards uh, in terms of religious life uh, and spiritual life in uh, a number of different cultures. Uh, But with the Aztecs, they not only did it that way, but also used it as a currency, and Montezuma was famous as using it as an aphrodisiac as well.
2: It's a pretty normal part of human nature to think that everybody else has a better job than you. But then you rationalize it, you tell yourself, sure, so-and-so's job might be better than mine, but I'm sure she has her own problems. Well, when you're through rationalizing yourself into feeling fine about your own life, you're in a secure enough place to admit there are actually people who have pretty awesome jobs. For example, being able to live in New Orleans and work for a major company with national reach, and spend your day researching stocks. John, I have to say your job is right up there with the most enviable of all of them. And then I look across the table at Christopher. Christopher, there's nothing much more rewarding than creating something beautiful. Not only do you get to create works uh, of art for a living, but they're made of delicious chocolate. I know both you guys work hard and have to deal with the stress of performing at a consistently high level and delivering every day, but what you're doing is exactly what you want to be doing, and it's hard to beat that. John and Christopher, thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Professor. (laughs) Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Christopher Nobles, founder and chocolatier at Piety and Desire Chocolate, and John Rotani, He's the Senior Analyst and Head of Investor Training Development at The Motley Fool. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Christopher's chocolates and John's stocks by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of the show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle, And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Rashudi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Taproom, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Taproom has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com major support for out to lunch is provided by the law firm of jones walker established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the u.s providing a comprehensive range of services to a local national and international client base joneswalker.com and by three roll estate craft rum distillery crafting premium rum from their own louisiana sugarcane. three roll is cane to glass and by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com.